The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a good football show. This is our first of two week nine previews. I'm your host, Patrick Darity, here today with John Daigle, Kyle Dvorak, and Patrick Crane. We're going to be previewing Thursday night football and some of week nine's biggest games, including the Aaron Rodgers Packers at the Chiefs and the Ravens hosting the Vikings. We'll be graced with Crane's stat of the week. I'm told it's an explosive, explosive stat on Jamar Chase this week <laughs> as we attempt to dive into every fantasy relevant player. Guys, we normally start with Thursday Night Football, but I don't know if you've heard. There's been a little bit of news today and this week. We're going to shift to Jets-Colts to the end of the show in favor of Jordan Love's Packers, at least for now, uh, trekking to Kansas City as seven-point underdogs. It's only Wednesday afternoon as we record, so for all we know, Love himself could end up on the COVID list. But, Dagle, it doesn't really matter who the Packers quarterback is at this point, correct? Is there any way we can trust this this Packers passing attack in Kansas City? As someone who played Jordan Love in preseason DFS, I assure you it is harder to trust than if Aaron Rodgers were under center. <laughs> uh, because Jordan Love this preseason averaged less than eight yards per attempt and a seven and a half depth of target behind Andy Dalton, behind other terrible quarterbacks that we don't typically play in fantasy with only one carry because he doesn't have a rushing floor. So it certainly is worrisome. On a Wednesday at the time of recording, also Devontae Adams hasn't returned to practice yet, even though I am, if you told me to guess, expecting him to get cleared to play. Alan Lazard cleared, going to be out there. And then, of course, MVS, we are still expecting to be activated now that he's had 10 full days since he was nearly activated from injured reserve last Thursday. So I think we will get the full helping of Packers wide receivers. But again, it comes down to what Jordan Love can do. The good news is at least he's playing this Chiefs defense. I mean, that is the disappointing part. You just kind of laid out that Aaron Rodgers, you know, is finally going to have almost his entire skill core for the mm-hmm. first time since week three, you know, not including Bob Tunyon, who tore his ACL last Thursday night. But, like, the band was back together. And, like, you could already see MVS somehow getting lined up on Daniel Sorensen and scoring, like, a 72-yard touchdown for the Packers. And now, I mean, Crane, Kyle, DFS bros, where are my DFS bros at? I mean, if it is Jordan Love, if he avoids the COVID list, are we playing any of these guys in daily? I mean, is Devonte Adams like a contrarian play at this point out of fear of it being Jordan Love? Jordan Love and cash? <laughs> yeah, Jordan Love and cash. No, Jordan Love and GPP and cash, both, because <laughs> uh, he's just the best player on the slate. It doesn't matter. I didn't Go check ahead, his go. price. I can pull up his price right now, dude. I like wouldn't be completely opposed to it. He will have like I like Diggle said, uh, we don't know yet, but I would have to imagine that he does get the full complement of his receiving weapons. Sands Robert Tunney, who won't uh, play the rest of the season. If he's super cheap, I'll pull up his price. I mean, I'm I've done grimier things I like I've played. Just, oh, like super cheap. Oh, man. Yeah, you can totally play Jordan Love. You can absolutely play Jordan Love against one of the league's worst defenses in a game that should still feature a lot of points. Um, Are you going to get burned by it? Yeah, there's a pretty good chance you get burned by it because Jordan Love, as Daigle alluded to, not that good, it doesn't seem like. But I've done worse things. So I was kind of building, just like getting a feel for the slate, and I had uh, Aaron Jones in a lineup, and I and I liked that. And then the Aaron Rodgers news broke, and I thought, oh, that Aaron Jones lineup has got to shift. <laughs> and then I thought, hang on, no one's going to play Aaron Jones now. I wonder if he's kind of the contrarian pivot because Daigle mentioned the ADOT issues, 
And, you know, we saw last week that A.J. Dillon was fairly involved. He had a 40% snap share. But uh, Aaron Jones had a had a 66% snap share. He's at 67% on the season. So I don't think this Dillon stuff last week was really hurting Jones. It was more like they just needed to get playmakers on the field. And so if he's going to be maybe a big beneficiary of the way that Jordan Love plays, you know, and we kind of get some like Michael Carter action where he's just getting peppered with checkdowns type of thing. I wonder if, if maybe he's like, he's just fine. Obviously you'd rather have Rogers than love for everyone here, including Aaron Jones, but maybe he comes really up. any American wants that. Yeah. And honestly with, Aaron Jones having 22 touches to AJ Dillon's season high, 16 carries, 16 carries, of course, was the plan without Devontae Adams. Then that does make Aaron Jones uh, talking about DFS on a Wednesday is, you know, a useless <laughs> thing to do. That's why we like to save it Friday, given all the injury reports and the news this year. But overall, like that would be a good pivot. Also for redraft leagues, it makes Dillon a, you know, RB3, uh, a worthy flex shop option in a week with four teams on by because we should probably expect the same him to still be heavily involved as an early down grinder from the backfield without Aaron Rodgers now. So I think you can still depend on both of these players in the backfield who uh, they used at the same time quite frequently on Thursday night. Well, yeah, Daigle set the over under in AJ Dillon's carries. He's reached 11 and three of his past yeah. five games, you know, had a season high. This is going to end up being like similar game setup. To uh, week eight, they're a road fa- a road underdog missing a huge piece. We assume they're going to lean on the run against a defense like the Cardinals. The Chiefs are bad against the run. We assume they're going to lean on the run. How many carries do you think we're talking for A.J. Dillon? Right. I believe I would put it at 12 to 16 again. Uh, I think this would be the fallout. If Rodgers were under center, I came into this week expecting increased rate of 11 personnel, given that they were going to have all four receivers available. And that was going to be the pivot from Robert Tanyan. I do not expect Mercedes Lewis to be used like Tanyan moving forward. But now we have to adjust not only for Rodgers, but perhaps for uh, Adams or a couple other players and Tanyan. So, yeah, I think it would just be let's get AJ involved more. And that lets us keep him in the backfield and continue pushing Aaron Jones to the boundary as a wide receiver. You mean, I feel like we could see like Eagles against the Lions type backfield usage for the Packers. Uh, I mean, clearly they're going to try to play ball control offense against the Chiefs. They're going to try to just stampede them on the ground because as leaky as the Chiefs are in the secondary, I feel like Jordan Love is not going to be cut loose. I do Who's the Kenny Gainwell in that uh, analogy? <laughs> Who is the – I mean, uh, Josiah DeGura? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the H-back? I, I do want to say before we move to the Chiefs side, uh, like last week – when we talked about Devontae Adams was not worth uh, six points, I think the line moved, and thus you could then get the Packers at like seven and a half or something ridiculous. Um, I also don't think, and like lines and books always over-evaluate like quarterbacks and wide receivers, like when so many are replacement levels, so few matter. Um, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is very good, but he wasn't good enough to push the line from three and a half, four points, all the way to seven and a half. So I actually still think you take the pack. I think he might be. Yeah, I think he might be, actually. <laughs> As we move to the Chiefs side, like, did you see what they did against the Giants? Like, I don't, I don't think seven and a half points is good enough. We'll move, we'll move to the Chiefs side in just a second. I had one more, like, if, if it's not Jordan Love, do we know? Is it Kurt Benkert who's been no, on the, so I, I was on on the COVID-19 can, list himself, I believe? Yeah, I was on news today. I can break this down. What is so. the stunning truth, Kyle, for who the Packers' number three quarterback is? I hear it's a stunning reveal. Uh, it is Blake Bortles. They uh, are overnight shipping a Blake Bortles <laughs> to Green Bay, <laughs> signing him to the practice squad. And then, uh, I mean, he was. He was, I think he was in like California playing golf this morning as we record and are flying him out, signing him to the practice squad bringing him up for the game. It, my guess is it would have been, if anything were to, uh, you know, were a positive test were to come up for Jordan Love, it would have been uh, like Randall Cobb, who got like a few starts, I think, at Kentucky in his freshman year before transitioning to wide receiver. Wow. They talked about last year, it could have been Robert Tunyon, because I think he's a high school quarterback. They don't have Robert Tunyon. But now, especially since Blake Bortles is not with the team, which is spreading COVID around right now, he's probably like the sort of a safe option. He's not being with the team is good for him, if anything. Yeah. Like that's like he's the emergency quarterback that they didn't know they had essentially, and he was with the team in the summer. He actually did make it all the way till final cuts, I think, or something close to final cuts. So he does. If any street free agent can know the playbook, he does seem to have some knowledge, I would assume, of it. So he's a fine enough backup. He's coming in on short notice, but he'll be up and active by Sunday. 
LaFleur literally asked a reporter today if he could throw. So, you know, they are truly scraping the bottom <laughs> of the barrel here. Yeah, they probably they got Bortles probably put it in like a safe house in like upper Wisconsin, <laughs> like a COVID free house. Like you chill here till Saturday afternoon. We'll let you know if you got to get on the team playing or not start against the Kansas City Chiefs tomorrow. And by Diggle. the way, if, if your system, all it takes to break it is uh, asking a player, are you vaccinated? And that player says yes and continues his day. Uh, your system is broken. Well, he was playing some word games, all right? Yeah. Some old-fashioned 90s Bill Clinton word up. games with splitting hairs. He did lie. Me. I will he contend that he lied. Maybe, maybe he's he's law, he might not have lied. Supposedly, behind the scenes, he's been doing the unvaxxed protocol, but he he you that's a lie what he said was yeah, a lie he knew lie. the way it would be taken he lied also I, he begins the sentence with yeah comma i get it's a midwestern tick like when someone's like hey are you going out tonight and i've got my pjs on i'm like yeah no i don't think so maybe it's a he midwestern tried. tick he's not even from the midwest he doesn't get to use that caveat that he speaks in tongue <laughs> of like yeah no sure yeah 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 the triple yeah he tried not to yes. lie because he used immunization, but that's just a synonym for vaccination. So he, he like lied. tried to not that's lie, fair. but he did lie. I, I think it's more ignorance than uh, lying. No, lying. he lied, man. He, he's he's smart. You know, he's dumb, but he's also very smart. He knew what he was <laughs> Oh, doing. he's extremely smart. And he, he knew the way that that would be taken in interpreted. Yeah. He just wanted the media off his back. So uh, he, he said make, the 90% make there your system better. Make your I, system I am better. also very curious what the fallout will be because supposedly, as Pat said before we got into this, is that uh, he has been following protocol, but there's like pictures of him on the sidelines in preseason without wearing his mask. And if you're inactive for a game, you do have to, and yeah. you're vaccinated, you like, have to wear your mask. Carson Wentz, after he throws like game ending interceptions on Sunday, he has to slap on his mask and come out for post game handshakes. And Aaron Rodgers has not been doing that. So well, I'm um, not sure if in the same way that like he did lie, he didn't lie. He is somehow getting past that. But I mean, there's clear shot him. And, you know, if you're active, you don't have to wear your mask on the sideline. And you're uh, even if you're not vaccinated. But he was I believe he was inactive for all their preseason games and was spotted without a mask. So I I would imagine some fines are coming like earlier in the year. I think some bills got fined for not wearing their masks You know, for a guy like Rogers fines or nothing. But there are escalations to the fines that I think can result in games missed. So like there's definitely going to be fallout. Does not matter for fantasy? It's possible. I'm not sure yet, but it's definitely like this situation is far from over. There was some gray area he was living inside. Let's just put it that way. And, you know, with this game, it was going to be hard for something to knock the Chiefs' problems from the perch. But Aaron Rodgers has managed to do that. John, I went to you first. I'm going to go to you first again on part two of this Chiefs-Packers preview. You know, the Chiefs' real-life struggles have finally bled over into fantasy. We haven't had a ceiling game from Travis Kelsey in a while. Patrick Mahomes, who even as he was struggling, was still the fantasy QB1. He's turned in back-to-back duds. What is your concern level right now for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs passing attack? It's the offense as a whole. I know we want to panic on Travis Kelsey, but I would still be buying low on Travis Kelsey because the moment the Chiefs figure it out, that's the moment Travis Kelsey figures it out. Everyone is struggling. That's literally the answer. As Patrick Mahomes has averaged less than six yards per attempt in three of his four last games. Kansas City had eight days to figure out how not to get embarrassed again after the Titans road graded them in week seven. And they responded with turning Patrick Mahomes into Mike White as Mahomes completed hey, their worst plans, man, as Mahomes completed <laughs> the most passes behind the line of scrimmage of any quarterback in a single game since 2016 uh, Tyreek Hill. I understand a 37 and a half percent target share looks good on paper, but he didn't reach hundred yards on 18 targets because they made him Jalen Waddle, which is not good for oh, his no. stealing games. And so like, if that is the response of this team that of course, failed to cover against the Giants because they're not explosive and against a competent opponent they can't beat right now, then I am absolutely concerned. Having said that, I would expect hopefully more explosiveness for everyone. Travis Kelsey also still leading the league at his position and targets receiving yards and receptions, so not worried at all, honestly. Still far and away the most tight end fantasy points, but I mean, yeah. people RIPing Travis Kelsey has been a very interesting development the past few weeks. I think there's like a little bit of concern for Travis Kelsey, not not like a ton, but I guess what I would say is like before, one of the reasons that Travis Kelsey has been so dominant and so exciting is that like you didn't have to worry about sort of the offense getting its stuff together so that Travis Kelsey could be good. He's a part of the reason the offense is so good. And it's kind of, so it's kind of a little bit of a transition. And part of the the red flag there, I think, is his A dot, which has trended down for four straight seasons now. It's below eight for the first time since 2016. That's not usually a great sign for an aging player when we see their depth of targets start to shrink. We don't want to see this, you know, 
transformation into Kelsey slowly becoming Jace, Jason Witten, but like that's probably oh, no. inevitable. I don't think it's happening necessarily this year, but it's just like it makes me a little uneasy that you see an eight out of seven point eight when he was like at his height in 2019, 9.1, even last year, 8.9. So this is a big slip from where he was getting targeted last year. And it's been the case all year that he's, he's had a shallower ADOT. So it's not just kind of the, the Mike White transformation from last would year you, to Patrick Holmes. Would you trade low for him in redraft leagues? I think a lot of, whether you're a winning team or not, I think you're in position to do so in every league right now. And my response is I absolutely would. Yeah, I would. In, in redraft, you just have such like your downside risk is so capped and the yeah. upside is so high that I would 100% be trading low for him in redraft. I guess my thing is in dynasty, you know, if you were mm-hmm. if you're like going to try to trade low for Kelsey in dynasty, I would be doing that with the understanding that you might be taking on a guy who's actually going to be a very declining asset. Pat, where does he where does he rank for you in a dynasty? I assume at this point we have Kyle Pitts ahead of him. Uh, Darren Waller's not like that yeah. much younger cuz he kind of had a slow ramp up to his career. So is he still just two for you? I'm going to have Waller ahead of him in the... Okay, all right. all right. That's, uh, yeah, crazy times. Uh, Travis Kelsey, he's just get rid of him as fast as you can in Dynasty, basically, according to Patrick Corain. That's not uh, what I said. That's not, <laughs> well, 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 legally speaking, <laughs> that's not what he said. And yeah, this is and, not a Rogers you know, line situation. Vaccinated, who's to say, you know... Uh, John, uh, you go, you get in your thought and tell us if Derek Gore is a thing. So that's why I just wanted to quickly talk on the backfield. Uh Daryl, the mentor Williams, and the Met Gore split carries 13-11 on Monday night, earning two apiece inside the 10-yard line. Daryl Williams still the superior player since he handled six of seven running back targets in that game. Um, but Derek Gore did enough, you know, with his 11 carries on 16 snaps that I think he still is fine for like an RB4 or 5, nothing more. Would not expect his role to grow moving forward, especially since Clyde Edwards-Hilaire may be back this game and mix in or take over. We have no idea. So uh, Derek Gore fine for this week, but beyond this week, if CEH is active, probably not looking at anything impactful. I find it curious that you think the son of Derrick Henry and Frank Gore is not an RB1, but uh, so it goes in fantasy. He ran like a 4-7 at like 206. It's awful. That's, that's interesting. That's uh, didn't need to hear Darius that. Johnson ran up at a slow 42. Yeah, I don't know if you guys heard about four, the eight, eight, pro day, 4 eight forty. Yeah, I don't know if you and, uh, 40 is dead. That's true. We should make all our comps to Dearness Johnson. You folks heard about this? This 4-8-40 from Dearness Johnson? We head next to Baltimore, one of the only games where, knock on wood, things appear normal right now. The Ravens come off by a six-point home favorites against the Vikings, Kyle. Uh, That's where we're going to begin. Can Kirk Cousins bounce back from last week's stink bomb against the Ravens defense that is right now allowing the most passing yards in the league? That's crazy. I, I knew they had, uh, you know, come back to earth. It also helps that they are actually just passing better. So I think their game environments are typically just more exciting than they have been previously. I mean, being down to like, what are they on their fifth running back? Like, they're if you just rank their running backs, they're down to literally RB five. They're on the their fifth two thousand fourteen uh, Pro Bowl <laughs> running back. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, that is funny. Though. They all, they do have like stacked up that Pro Bowl era of, of Devonta Freeman, Latavius Murray, Latavius DNP to start the week, as did Sammy Watkins, I believe. So I think we're going to roll with that team that we've seen. Yeah, for Kirk Cousins, uh, I mean, I don't know. He's not great, but he's still pretty efficient. I just think quarterbacks who are not, I was going to say quarterbacks who aren't in that Patrick Mahomes category, I, whatever. Quarterbacks who aren't in that Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Matt Stafford category, even the ones that are. Obviously, actually, Tom Brady proving the same thing are going to have down weeks. The ones that are not the ones are in that Derek Carr type of category are going to have more down weeks than the rest of them. We still have a condensed offense that has traditionally been a very efficient passing attack and its defense has come down to earth since their 20 since that Pro Bowl 2014 type of high same era. So, you know, it's two defenses that are well underperforming and two quarterbacks who have outside of a few games this year, especially for Kirk last week, been very good. I think it looks like a good game to keep playing the players you would normally be playing. And you can even target the deeper cuts like your Rashad Batemans, your KJ Osborne's, Tyler Conklin's. Even if Kirk isn't, uh, you know, Kirk isn't the the elite quarterback, maybe the Vikings are paying him to be, he's good enough that I would project a, a general bounce back from the passing attack. Daigle, why, why did I not get my, my Ben Franklin plus my Ulysses S. Grant from Justin Jefferson? I wanted a Bill 50 Sunday night. Why, why did that not happen? Well, even though Kirk Cousins threw uh, 35 attempts, and I don't like using these narratives, but it is funny that it's always on primetime for Cousins. Always on primetime. <laughs> and so uh, I actually – and remember, Justin Jefferson did leave that game for a couple plays with an injury. Uh, I don't worry about Jefferson in the slightest. 
And uh, I like all of the Vikings, like 11 personnel here. Dalvin Cook as well, since we've seen Alexander Madison only handle seven touches in the past two games with Cook healthy. But more importantly, I think it's another one where the passing attack, uh, as you had mentioned, for against the Ravens defense, one to attack, that all of them, KG Osborne included, can have a very good game. So I guess that's a bow, I guess, on the Vikings. Crane, as Kyle said, Latavius Murray's not practicing yet this week. Is this is this Devontae season? Is it Tyson Williams season? I know you have no real way of answering this. Would you start any of these guys in redraft? I mean, any juice whatsoever in DFS? What what do we do with this Ravens backfield? Or excuse me, yeah, with this Ravens backfield. Because the Vikings have been pretty stout against the pass until a little man named Cooper Rush came to town and actually like, pretty permissive against the run. So what can we do with this Ravens backfield? Yeah, they're actually much better against the pass than the run. So they haven't been like a complete run funnel. Teams are, are pretty balanced against them. But, I mean, the old Ravens would have been running all over the Vikings here. My hope is that kind of the Ravens have been pretty neutral, pretty pass neutral this year and are actually passing in neutral game script more than you would expect. So my hope is that they stick with that plan and just think the running game is too gross and they, they just can't. <laughs> and then, then we get this game potentially shooting out. I like the Viking side of it as well. I, I agree with those points. From a fantasy perspective, I mean, if you're really desperate, I think, you know, you can maybe go with Williams and just pray because he's he's got like a lower chance of getting the work than Freeman. But I think it's like you multiply the chance of getting the work plus the chance of doing anything with the work. And he comes out with the best probability of actually scoring points compared to Freeman, who's got a better chance of getting the work, but like a 0% chance of doing anything with it. So I don't want to touch him. DFS, like, God help you if you play in a format where you want to where you want to jam one of these guys. That that was a noob question. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to really. (laughs) Is there like a triple millimaker? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was not a. There's no scenario. Yeah, where this is going to be DFS live. Vikings also lost to Neil Hunter for the year with a torn pec this past week, and so uh, the Ravens' passing attack in general, like even if you don't want to play the running backs, maybe they just continue increasing that part of the ball instead. Uh, we also saw before the bye, Tyson Williams, as Pat mentioned, just four touches to Devontae Freeman, seven and Le'Veon Bell, six. So overall, pretty much a splitting. Maybe one emerges after the bye because they saw it with 14 days how much better Tyson Williams was. But overall, I think it's better for Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, and Rashad Bateman, especially if Sammy Watkins remains out. So I kind of have a theory on this whole situation, which is that like, they know that Tyson Williams is the best running back, but he must be making mistakes. You know, we know he's we missed a key pass block. They just don't trust him. And I think to some degree, the fact that like they're sacrificing the run game to not get Lamar killed and, you know, not have a guy back there who's going to make mistakes, like makes a lot of sense. So I have no problem actually if they roll Freeman here and then pass. I guess I have a problem if they try to like go real run heavy with Freeman, but I think it's fine if you just want your running back not to mess up. Yeah, I think they've been doing your idealized approach there, actually. Not forcing the run just because you know, for all teams that you think would maybe try to force the run just because you would think it'd be the Vi- or the Ravens, but they have not done that this year. So maybe, uh, Pat, are you consulting the Ravens? Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, can't, I can't talk about it. And you guys have mentioned Sammy Watkins not practicing. He's trying to get in his first practice since 2015. Hopefully next week that's going to happen for Sammy Watkins. But Daigle... How do you see the dyna- dynamic going forward between Marquise Brown and Rashad Bateman? And they kind of played to a standstill in Bateman's first game. Then Bateman, uh, second game, has he, he's played two games, right? Am I imagining yes. that? Uh, didn't really show much in the second game. Was, was decisively behind Marquise Brown. Not that I thought he was like tied with Marquise Brown after that first game. But just coming off by, how do you see this dynamic between the Ravens' top two wide receivers? Well, the two games Bateman has been active for are also two games Sammy Watkins has missed. And targets in those games have been Marquise Brown with 19, Mark Andrews with 13, and Rashad Bateman with 12. Uh, The game before the bye, a little skewed since the Bengals just put it on them, laid the wood, and then walked off the field in the fourth quarter. But overall, uh, I still expect, personally, for Marquise Brown to lead the team in target share as the more explosive option. But we should have... Uh, heightened encouragement for Bateman since he has now had 14 days off. And so I would expect his snap rate at least to increase dramatically in this first game off by. We arrive in the city of brotherly love where all it took for Jalen Hurts to finally not have a QB one day was a 44 to six victory. Uh, makes a lot of sense in fantasy football all the time. Uh, but we will begin with the visiting Chargers, Karain, as Justin Herbert is coming off the worst two-game stretch of his career. Just got dominated by Bill Belichick for the second time in as many years. 
Uh, the Eagles defense had really been in shambles before last week's Lions unmasking. Does the Justin Herbert bounce back start now, Patrick? The concerning thing about this Herbert stretch is it's not like he was facing like the Bills or something. Like he, he was facing the Ravens, who we just talked about as being susceptible and maybe allowing Kirk Cousins to bounce back. They're like 27th in EPA allowed for drop back. And then he's ranking the Patriots, who they playing the Patriots, who rank 17th. So he actually now faces a more difficult defense in the Eagles that rank 13th in EPA allowed per drop back. They're fifth in pass rush grade by PFF, 18th in coverage grade. They're not like an elite defense, but this isn't actually a pushover defense. On the other hand, Herbert on the season is 16th in EPA per play. He's playing good. He's not playing great. So it's the kind of thing where when a quarterback's like in this good but not great area, it, it's not crazy for them to put up a couple stinkers in a season and then be fine against a, a similar defense going forward. So I think Herbert's probably going to be okay. The thing that's a little concerning is that the Chargers went run heavy against the Patriots. They had a minus four pass rate over expected. That was the lowest of the season. The Patriots are kind of a slight run heavy or a run funnel. So, you know, not crazy for them to take advantage of that. But the Eagles are a run funnel as well. So my bigger concern is that the Chargers see Herbert is struggling, see they're facing a team that you can attack on the ground and limit pass attempts compared to what we're used to with the Chargers. So I do think he'll be more efficient this year, but it could still, or this week, but it could still end up hurting him that he's been so efficient over the last couple of weeks. I think it is at least good that the blitz, the Eagles have only blitzed the league's third lowest rate, and Herbert has been significantly better against the blitz, averaging uh, 8.3 yards per attempt and completing 65% of his passes, nearly 20% more than when he's been blitzed this year. So overall, uh, I, I think it is a, a significantly better spot, and I do wonder if that was just a the run-heavy approach, was just a game plan for the Patriots. I feel like with the eye test, I have noticed like not great performances from Justin Herbert, like sailing a lot of throws, like the like guy who like early in the season was like hitting throws. I was like, wow, I think there's only like two or three other quarterbacks that can make that play. The past several weeks, I feel like we've seen like not a very good player, like looking like, a, I think Justin Herbert's an elite young player, but just really looking like, like the bad box scores are definitely showing up when you watch the game. I feel like where he's just not making good throws and, this has come with, you know, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Mike Williams now uh, two catches for under 30 yards in three of his past four games. Keenan Allen has not had 100 yards since week two. Kyle, like, so like, I guess I'll just transition to that. I mean, what's going on with the pass catchers? Is it just as simple as Justin Herbert kind of struggling, or is there something larger at work here with the like the entire Chargers passing attack? No, I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with Justin Herbert. Like, he has looked – Poor. These haven't been two games where like, oh, the box scores and show he played well. Yeah. He, he didn't. They weren't particularly good games. But I think it's just probably the, the growing pains of facing a, a solid Patriots defense and at least a, a well-coached Baltimore defense, If they, even if the talent isn't quite showing up in the stats. I still expect them to get on track. And if anything, like I, I'm pretty optimistic about Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. If we think this team even gets close to on track, they don't have to be the most efficient team in the league because they just give the ball to two players, at least in terms of receivers. And then they throw to throw and run with Austin Eckler. But even shockingly, like Keenan Allen's air yard share is actually up 2% last year with having a marginally higher A dot just because they continue to only focus on two individual players. He's also slightly out targeting Mike Williams, but Mike Williams going so deep down the field more than makes up for that. They have a two-pronged passing attack, essentially, and then some dump-offs, a decent amount of dump-offs to Austin Eckler. But the fact that they move the chains, essentially, with just two players, as soon as the offense bounces back, which I think we have no problem projecting to happen in the near-term future, as soon as this week with the game having a pretty high total, both of these players are coming back. So, no, you have, you're have in no universe are you benching either of these guys. You're probably not starting anyone else. Even Jared Cook seems to kind of have fallen out of favor. And then outside of that, the whoever they run as their three, you know, Guyton, if it ends up being Palmer or whatever, uh, he's a wind sprinter. They don't use their third guy. It, it's just a team I expect to regress in the second half of the season positively as well, since they're two, two of their losses outside of the Ravens running them over a concerted attack to just get every running back involved when the Chargers are still trying to shore up their run defense. Uh, they lost those other two games by a combined six points, have had an extremely tough schedule to date. They've played the Cowboys, Chiefs, who they did beat, um, the Browns, the Ravens, the Patriots this past week. So overall, as their schedule lightens up, I just expect there to be more fruitful opportunities as well. You want, you want to hear a football guy theory? Is that, that, we love him. We love him. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's week nine. It's hand in the dirt season. We got <laughs> hand in the okay. dirt season. Uh, like, so they've got some of these teams. You know, like 
where like I feel like they've had a few run defenses where they could have taken like greater advantage. And I feel like having zero run game whatsoever has kind of like put unnecessary pressure on Justin Herbert. Where, like teams know like even like the smart even like the smart teams have to run. I hate, I hate some, this. There's some situations <laughs> they have to run. They have nothing. They just have they have literally there's no one more undermanned on early downs, basically, in the try. And it's kind of like overexposing Austin Eckler, I feel like, too, because he's having to take some like the cannon fodder carries. And, like, say, you, like, must, you must have missed Justin Jackson's 75 yard almost touchdown last week. I, I, uh, which I think he got hurt. I think he immediately um, got hurt with later in the game. <laughs> for, for Mike Williams, though, I will say like that was expected. Like I even played Keenan Allen and DFS everywhere because like slot receivers are where the Patriots have been penetrated the most at. And so like I expected a semi-poor, not that poor, but a semi-poor game for Mike Williams. I would expect the opposite this week where I think it's a Mike Williams like terrific low-end wide receiver one spot. The the Chargers were team. I just didn't understand like why didn't they just like trade a sixth round pick for there was this going to be a special team or for like a running back though because it seems like he's like distracted by it too. Brandon Staley every week is like all right it's Larry Roundtree again for some reason all right it's Justin Jackson again for some reason like they just need to like some guy they can throw in there like set and forget. What about the fact that they have this guy running routes on the outside? Jalen Guyton has run a route on 71% of dropbacks and he just never, ever gets targeted. And this is two seasons in a row of him doing this. Like what, why not trade a six round pick for a guy who can like, get open? It, or why not target Jalen Guyton? Occasionally he made a lot of big plays. Well, I, last I think year. I know the answer to why they don't do that. <laughs> yeah. He it's, made a lot of big plays last year. He was actually, once, once Chris Hogan hung it up, the uh, cardio <laughs> award passed on to Jalen Guyton and Javon Wims, who's on Raiders practice squad. Uh, he yeah, was always a champion a of that as well. Contender. Uh, yeah. We got to move to the Eagles where my note just said state of the Eagles is backfield. Lowell, um, anyone want to weigh in on I mean, Boston I'll, Scott, Jordan Howard season? I, I would like to see why this is funny to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not having a good time. Yeah, you seem to be uh, not financially invested in this situation, which uh, the same can't be said for apparently Pat and I. And Daigle. Daigle, what, what were your thoughts there? I think it's actually pretty easy to sift through. I explained it in the waiver column, and that is that Kenneth Gainwell, I actually still think he's a fine pickup um, because how often will the Eagles be in a position to pad a multi-score lead? They're a bad team. So never unless they run into a worse team like the Lions. So it makes sense because they weren't in passing downs ever. They didn't need to use Kenneth Gainwell, whereas Scott was deployed like Miles Sanders, out touching Jordan Howard 7-0 in the first quarter and 9-4 in the first half. Gainwell, of course, 12 of his 13 touches came in the final 15 minutes once Philadelphia already had a 38-0 lead because, again, there were no passing downs. They didn't need to come from behind, so Kenneth Gainwell wasn't on the field. Also, we've now seen for three consecutive games, and they're winning doing this. They won this last week, so I expect them to at least try to continue it unless they can't against the Chargers. Nick Sirianni has called the, a league-high run play rate from neutral game script, um, and now we know the Chargers – Last in Football Outsiders, Rush Defense DVOA is on deck. Another good spot to run the ball for Boston Scott. And then the Broncos after that, number 26. So two poor run defenses on deck for the next two games while Miles Sanders is out. So I don't think Gainwell is a bad pickup or stash at all. It's just that probably won't need to use him in those two games if they can successfully run the ball. And so I still think Scott is the way we go here for the next two weeks. It's shocking how much the... Eagles have shifted yep. toward the run. I mean, they had a pass rate over expected in week three of 21%, week four of 12%. They were like an extremely pass-heavy team. And then in week seven, minus 13%, week eight, minus 16%, shifting hard to the run. That's, you know, it's overexpected. It counts for for game script. It counts for the fact they were leading. They're still running the ball a ton. I, I'm actually a little worried about Gainwell in the sense that, like, why was Jordan Howard not salt in the game away in total garbage time like that that was like a demotion type of move where you now put him in for garbage time to kind of soak up some meaningless carries like if you actually care about him and uh you know and you're looking forward to using him when you're actually contending and, and passing the ball more i just don't see why he's getting that work instead of jordan howard 
Yeah, and on top of that, Gainwell didn't run a route. Pro Football Focus only charted Boston Scott running routes. Obviously, there were not many routes to go around. They threw 14 times. Only nine uh, running back routes were even handed out. But he got the only running back target. He ran the only running back routes. So even then, like, but like by that argument, it's it's tough to see this as anything other than like I think like Pat said, it feels like a demotion. It looked like a demotion. The guy who solves the game way is usually the guy you do not have any uh, you know regard for. He's not the guy you plan on ever using. And the passing game usage, at least in terms of the routes run, indicates that oh well, had it been a close game and they were passing more, it might have just been Boston Scott. So I think there it's it's a multifaceted concern for a player that I was really excited about last week and just for his future and it was concerning too just in how decisively they went away from him before miles sanders's injury where it was 27 to 4 and miles sanders touches his final two so now it's been like two different regimes mm-hmm. i feel like that he's failed under and but i dig and i kind of talk about this things change quickly in this backfield and like who, maybe they maybe it was just as simple as like they just thought those several games in a row were not gain well games but uh, there are some really red indicator lights blinking. For we're we're going to get to week, the, you know, week 17. Be like, man, we've had 11 not Gainwell games in a row. We've got to get one <laughs> soon. Um, I, you're, you're starting Scott as a, as a RB2. You're not starting Kenneth Gainwell. Having said that, it genuinely would not be shocking if, uh, you know, the Eagles fall behind by two scores and Gainwell touches Scott this week at all. Jordan Howard still had two touchdowns um, on his carries inside the five-yard line, but also I don't know what position you have to be in to start Howard in any league. Like, you got to be in a Jordan <laughs> Howard-only league to start him. Do we have any quick – I've only played in three of those, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm only in five. It's a good league, I'll, actually. With Danny. I, I actually want to ask Corrine, though. He seems to be the one that is up to speed on Devonta Smith every week. And so – Yeah, tell us. I was asked – I was asked in my two two day waivers chat like what's going on, and I just said nothing's going on. Uh, he's the Eagles wide receiver one, and that that's not a compliment. He's just the Eagles wide receiver one, so you take whatever you get every week with you with him. So uh, I'm wondering if Crane has like a, a leading stat for us to have more confidence in Smith moving forward. I don't have that. I mean, he's got a 1.48 yards per route run, which is not very good, mm-hmm. but he's he's got a poor yards per target of 7.8. So you're actually compared to like his ADOT, which is 14.4, he's going to use pretty deep. You'd expect him to be maybe even closer to like a, a 9.5, 9.8 yards per target. So he's per, underperforming on per target efficiency considerably. And that's bullish in a sense because Devontae Smith, is, he's not going to get demoted. Like who, who would they possibly be playing right. over him? So says the team that played Jordan Howard from the Yeah, practice. true. Well, Jordan Howard's going to be their outside. Where's Travis Fulgham the right now? <laughs> Travis Fulgham will pop up with a six target game within the next yeah, three Ward, I just folks. know it. Greg Ward. <laughs> yeah. Jordan. Yeah. I, I think with the yards per target stuff, you do, you do want to be concerned about that because they can ultimately guys can lose their roles if they're not performing well enough there, but it's also the easiest place to see positive regression. So I think that's the bull case for him is that he starts to get closer to what his opportunity is. He got a 23% target share this year and a 39% air yard share, which are both pretty good, especially that air yard share. So it's nice. It's honestly been like he and Robbie Anderson have been just like a little too close this whole year. And Uh they've sort of ticking down and staying like concerningly close. As you kind of look at their, their profiles of these kind of deep threats who aren't quite getting targeted enough. But he's also not that far off of Michael Pittman either. So you can kind of see where, okay, you, you know, if he just got in the end zone a few more times, he connects on a few more deep targets. All of a sudden, he starts to look a lot like Michael Pittman, and then we feel way better. Jordan Howard earning multi-position eligibility in a Jordan Howard-only league would be the best-case scenario. <laughs> that would be huge. That would make Denny's year. That would just be a He's a quarterback on Yahoo. Yeah, exactly. So that would be, that would be life-changing. Uh, we'll be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Get an edge in your fantasy league with player rankings, projections, tiers, and alerts for players on your team or who you are eyeing up on the waiver wire by signing up for NBC Sports Edge Plus and do it at a discount. Use the promo code GOOD10 and get 10% off your annual subscription. That is GOOD10 for 10% off NBC Sports Edge Plus. The Bengals host the road-tripping Browns as two-and-a-half-point favorites. Cleveland could be without Odell Beckham, 
who was told not to show up the Browns' team facility Wednesday. They're going to be been, without Odo Beckham. He hasn't been cut for now. Dagle, I'm going to throw to you for this. First, I want to read read something from the, an ESPN article I read about the Odell Beckham situation. Where I'm just reading a paragraph from this article, so, so bear with me. It says, on Tuesday, Odell Beckham Sr. posted a video on Instagram highlighting times when Mayfield did not throw the ball to Beckham when he was open. Beckham Sr. responded with three green check marks in the comments section of a post that said Mayfield was either hating on Odell or just doesn't want him scoring. Beckham Sr. also responded with the hashtag big facts to a post <laughs> to a post that called Mayfield mediocre. No, 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 no. no, no. You think you you think you've heard the best of this this I think it's on this specific post. Dwayne Bow comments and says they did the same thing to me. <laughs> Oh my god. LeBron gosh. had OBJ's back. Wasting the best years of Dwayne Bow and Eldo Beckham's life. So, <laughs> Dagle, what in the world is the state of this Browns passing attack right now? It was Wednesday was absolutely drama queen day between Aaron Rodgers, Michael Thomas, and Odell Beckham stealing the headlines. Uh, Cleveland, though, another report as of now, is not willing to waive Beckham, but would rather allow him to burn on the active roster uh, just to keep him to stay away and excuse him indefinitely if that's the case. Also, if they waive him, remember that means after the trade deadline, he goes through waivers, every player does, and if claimed, a team has to take on his contract. No one is taking on Odell Beckham's contract, so he would then be free if he is waived like on a Friday news dump to sign with any team. So we don't even know where he's going to go. I would just assume moving forward, he's basically off the team. We won't see him again for the Browns. Uh, and what we, we do know is that in the last two seasons, Jarvis Landry has averaged just over six and a half targets in 10 games without Beckham and three and a half more fantasy points in those starts. So I think it's very clear that Jarvis Landry, we still have confidence in, assuming he's healthy, and then a nightly conversation, argument, discussion, whatever you want to call it in the basement, is is David Njoku good? I, I don't think he is. My roommate believes he is. My roommate <laughs> was also kind enough to point out that Njoku leads the all tight ends and yards per route run this year, even though I argued back that it was one game basically against the Chargers, and that's it. Having said that, maybe more opportunity now because they need explosive players in 12 and 13 personnel for Njoku. So a sneaky... Uh, tight end premium pickup for the rest of the year. I think David Njoku is good. He's just not as good as that yards per hour number indicates. Right. He's, got he's electrifying in David Njoku only leagues. I will say yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. He's actually underperformed there a little bit. <laughs> he's um, actually the tight end three in David Njoku only leagues. Yes, yeah. he is. He is. Uh, but he has a 9.8 ADOT, which I think is really promising for you know what they're going to need now. Like that Odell Beckham role, He's going to be stretching the field more from the seam than the outside, but one that's going to be helpful to take to add the you know the element that they're missing now. But also, I think just a tight end who can get open downfield is pretty rare, and he is that guy. I I've been kind of perplexed why they haven't been giving him more routes. He only run a route on forty nine percent of dropbacks this year. I mean. He might not be awesome, but I think he should be up in the 60% range, even if he's like solid. The problem with David Njoku kind of always has been he's highly explosive, but he's never been like an X's and O's guy. He's always been like famous for like making mistakes, like running into blockers, missing a block. I think it might just be as simple as that with David Njoku. But I mean, we also can't take that. I mean, teams thought that about Cordero Patterson, you know, and like teams just sometimes just don't know how to use. And he's been with the one organization this whole time, David Njoku. He has someone. I'm just going on a rant now. That I wish we and could see, get a second. Patrick Darty says David Joku should be converted to running back. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, players like that are also deceiving to the eye. Like he has made more consistent plays this year, I will say. But like guys like Brian Edwards, things like that, they look better on film because they're specimens. Like they're monster athletes. But then you see them like try to catch or try to do NFL <laughs> things to stick on rosters. And you're like, oh, like they just can't play. That's, That's what's right. wrong. Um, but yeah, David Njoku has been more consistent this year. So I think he is a um, pretty sneaky option, even for DFS this week, honestly, because before we jump over to the Bengals side, these two teams last year combined for 65 and 71 points and their two matchups. I actually think it's a sneaky over bet here, and I like this game a lot for fantasy. Real quick, I think with Odell Beckham, by the way, the only charitable explanation of what could be going on is like he was upset after the trade deadline. They give him a day or two. Uh, the Colorado Rockies did that with Trevor Story this summer, but 
this this seems like a totally different situation where this has been building and building for for years now. And it, I don't think it's a one or two day thing. It does seem like at the very least a multi-week thing. And as Daigle hinted, you know, maybe it's a rest of season thing. Yeah, no, it's, it should be a rest of season thing. All the reports have indicated the only reason they haven't cut him yet is they're working on uh, what essentially functions as a buyout, trying to lower that cap hit that they owe him right now. But uh, reports were earlier in the day that Stefanski told the team they're playing as if Odo Beckham is no longer part of the team. So it's right now, I think it's just a matter of seeing if they can kind of get some of this contract back from him. Because for him, he clearly wants out. It gets him out faster than sitting on the 53-man roster for the rest of the season, however long they do so. But the Browns, are, that's the only leverage they hold, is that they get to give him a clean start as soon as they cut him. I mean, I just imagine it's a matter of negotiation, maybe a week, somehow maybe it drags on to two, but he's not coming back to the Browns. That's a done deal. That feels right to me. And by the way, keep checking out Odo Beckham Sr.'s Instagram. We'll see if he's making any more explosive emoji comments about his son and Baker Mayfield. We will switch to the Bengals now. I was promised a stat of the week from Pat Corain on Jamar Chase. He finally had a quiet game, 32 yards or a new season low. Uh, is, Jamar, is Jamar Chase done in fantasy, Pat Corain? Yes, and here's the stat that proves why. <laughs> no, it, he's not at all. Um, and I kind of I, I like this because it's coming after the down game. He still, after the down game, has a yards per route run of 2.99. He's got a pretty sizable sample here. He's run 263 routes this year. If you look at players in their rookie season who ran a route on 200-plus routes or who ran 200-plus routes as a rookie, Jamar Chase has the highest yards per route run dating back to 2006, which is when PFF started tracking this. The only other players with a 2.6 yards per route run or higher since 2006, Odo Beckham, Justin Jefferson, and Alvin Kamara. He is in... Very elite company right now. The down game, not a concern. He's got a 43% air yard share this year, a 25% target share. He's doing just fine. Also, fairly funny that people are calling the floor if his floor is 32 yards and a touchdown, right? Like, don't you take that for your rookie floors? Like, that's incredible. Yes. Yeah, you want the floor to involve a touchdown. That's always a very, very good. Anyone, what's the deal with T. Higgins? What's the deal with Tyler Boyd? Who's got Higgins facts? Who's got Boyd facts? Because, I mean, doing the rankings, I just kind of feel like I'm flying blind a little bit. Tyler Boyd had a better game finally, did he not, in week eight? Like his best game in a while. How, how do we rank T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd behind, uh, as Crane's a true alpha, Jamar Chase? Would you I like think. Cal, and I'll take Joe Mixon? <laughs> yes. I mean, T. Higgins still has a, a nearly a 26% target share in the games he's played. He actually missed two games, uh, clearly ahead of Tyler Boyd, who I think we've talked about it before, is uh, just, you know, limited as a player. He is a guy who, you know, gets yards after the catch, catches the ball from the slot, but he doesn't dominate corners on the outside. He doesn't go to make massive splash plays. So, sure, this can totally happen within a week. This is not a, a knock on Tyler Boyd. He just plays a more specific, specialized role, whereas T. Higgins can beat his opponents, and so can Jamar Chase, in any given game, just one-on-one. It can just be that. He can just end a game. So T. Higgins with a team-leading target share, although, you know, the more we see of Jamar Chase, the more you kind of have to assume that he just looks uh, otherworldly. You know, like, as Karain said, also, shockingly, Alvin Kamara, congrats on getting up in there with the wide receivers. Talk about was, big facts. That was almost the more surprising part. <laughs> but yeah, he's a, a you know, once every decade type of player, essentially, maybe twice a decade type of player. So I think you have to project Jamar Chase as the wide receiver one going forward, despite the slight edge in target share. But then there's a second receiver pretty close to him, and Tyler Boyd as a pretty far drop-off. Yeah, Dangle, lay out the Bengals' backfield. So my GP Ryan only had two touches and 32 snaps last week, but Joe Mixon's usage is still leaving something to be desired. So just, you know, what, what is going on here? Well, we talked about Samaj P. Ryan and the fact that Jets had permitted a league high in backfield touches, making P. Ryan a viable RB3-4 flex last week because we assumed a blowout. Uh, it was a very competitive game throughout. And so it actually wasn't shocking to see Joe Mixon on the field for 100% of the running back carries and 71% of the backfield targets for the first time in three games. Since, remember, the two games prior, he was taken off in the fourth quarter because the Bengals had a 30-point-plus lead in both of those games. So if competitive, this is Joe Mixon's backfield. I don't think that's surprising at all, and I would expect it to stay the same in this one. Um, Also, as we were talking about the Browns, I just want to mention that – 
Nick Chubb, although he didn't get there in the box score, he did return to being Nick Chubb after a full practice on Friday, being removed from the injury port altogether. He handled 16 of 21 backfield carries, whereas unlike how Freddie Kitchens, callback, treated Nick Chubb whenever Zooms Kareem, don't know. Whenever Kareem Hunt was out, Kevin Stefanski instead used Dearness Johnson like Kareem Hunt with Nick Chubb. So Nick Chubb's role stayed the same as a strong touchdown or bust, low-end RB1. RB1 ceiling, he just needs to score. Um, but Dearness Johnson handling three of five backfield targets as well as getting a carry inside the five, that's what Kareem Hunt was doing. So it seems like Dearness Johnson has like deeper league standalone value, honestly, for as long as Hunt is out. The Dolphins host a Texans team that still has Brandon Cooks for some reason as six-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, the Dolphins got Devontae Parker back in week eight. Kyle, how does Parker's return shake out the targets tree between Devontae, Jalen Waddell, and Mike Jacecki? I mean, I think it just creates a third option. I think there's uh, no one else you're really interested in. Will Fuller, I think Brian Flores said it early in the week, they're still like a week out from even really considering activating him. At this point, he's sort of got that like Michael Thomas vibe of like, I don't know, man, maybe it's just a lost season. I certainly think they lost career back. question mark. It does. It, oh, man, it does kind of feel for both these players like that. So for now and for the rest of the fantasy season, as far as we're considering planning over the next few weeks, you're just thinking about it as a, a three headed committee. I still think I'm a little more interested in Jalen Waddles because I think he fits with the skill type of Tua Tagovailoa a little more Tua looks. I mean, I saw I think it was like a Rapport tweet that, you know, the ultimately the Dolphins don't trade him because they like what they see in their second year young quarterback who's improving yeah. but his stats just kind of look like the the epitome of volatility right his completion percentage is with one and a half within one and a half percent of what it was last year yards per attempt up 0.3 and he's just throwing more touchdowns more interceptions that's the only thing is the volatile stats are expectedly volatile because of that i'm just going to take the guy who i think is more likely to do more after the catch in jalen waddle if we think their targets kind of hold pat i think you can make the same argument for gasecki on top of that he also holds the positional utility that he's not competing with a ton of wide receiver threes as Devontae parker is if there's one takeaway from the past dolphins week it's how committed they are to two Tagovailoa. i do have Complete confidence, though, actually, in the Dolphins passing game this week, um, which is easy to say against the Texans. But remember, against the Falcons and Jaguars, similar opposing defenses. Tua was at or over seven yards per attempt. Not good, but good for Tua. And then, of course, against the Bills, um, number one defense in nearly every EPA advanced metric you look at through the air, in particular, 5.2 yards per attempt. Now it's the Texans with Devontae Parker, Mike Jasicki, Miles Gaskin. So I, I like them, this offense, a whole lot this week. Well, yeah, Dago. So I like, do too, yeah. Well, let's get, let's get into like, what is Tua's like rest of season streaming outlook? Because he's the QB1 two weeks ago and, you know, not like a great real life performance, but stacked up the fantasy points and, and a, you know, a solid matchup in week seven. Then in week eight, horrible matchup. He's the QB 19. He's the QB 22 on the year. Would you call him a top 12 quarterback against the Texans for week I, nine? I would call him a uh, – against the Texans, yes, because he's also averaging four carries per game in his full starts. Also, I'd call him a fringe QB one the rest of the season. Dolphins have the easiest projected schedule remaining. Pretty much only – like the Ravens, good team – bad defense. So we're not scared of the Ravens at all. Actually, they're going to give the Dolphins more passing volume. So that's great for him. Um, the toughest matchup, the remainder of the season is the Saints. And so uh, I, I still love Tua. I had him in my waiver wire column as the better rest of season ad um, over Taysom Hill, who is an awesome fantasy option as well. We'll get that tomorrow, Thursday's preview show. But yeah, I, I love Tua the rest of the season. And I, I agree with Diggle. I think He's in a good spot this week. We knew he was going to struggle against the Bills. The Bills are a very good offense, arguably the best mm -hmm. off defense, excuse me, arguably the best defense in the league. He now gets a Texans defense that's kind of a run funnel. Most teams do go run heavy against them, but we saw the Rams actually were pass heavy against them last week. And they're just bad on defense. It's not like you have to run against them. It's <laughs> yeah. just that most teams are able to run against them. They're ahead. And so that they they do that. But we might get Tyrod this week. Even if we don't, the Dolphins can't run the ball. Yeah, I was so, going to say, that, that helps too. He's in Herbert, the Herbert zone where they don't even have a running game yeah. really to fall back on. His, uh, exactly. And and his, the Texans ranked 29th in EPA allowed per dropback, 31st in coverage grade. They're highly exploitable. His last three games, two of 42 attempts per game. And um, they were basically one-score games. Even this past week, Bills and Dolphins went into the half tied at three, and he still had that many pass attempts. So, yeah, yeah like they just they know they can't run the ball, and so they've, they've converted to a passing team. 
Yeah, and John, he got there on volume against the Jaguars, 47 attempts, mm-hmm. and against the Falcons, 40 attempts. So it's not like the Dolphins are going to get up three scores in the first half on the Houston Texans. It's probably going to be closer than expected game. I mean, Vegas has an under a touchdown. So all signs point toward Tua being able to get his volume against the Texans. If Tyrod can push him a little bit on the other side, you know, if he if he plays, then this game could be actually kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, Tyrod, <laughs> if you're listening uh, – Consider coming back from that hamstring injury this week. And yeah, did anyone on the show considering have an opinion on anything involving the Texans? Does anyone have any Texans takes other than Brandon Cooks? I don't know. Question mark. You know, who has Texans big facts? No, I think it's Brandon Cooks, period. I think, you know, Brandon Cooks is a, a perfectly comfortable play. He's going to be top 10, top 15 for the rest of the season, weighted opportunity at a minimum. And now maybe he gets an upgrade at quarterback, even if not. Who's playing okay football with Davis Mills as a quarterback? So yeah, I think it's not Brandon Cooks question mark. It's, it's Brandon Cooks period. Not a you know not a a period bolded. We're not excited to play. Not him. exclamation point. You're you're at exclamation point. No, not exclamation. Not point. Exclamation oh, okay, okay. Point. I thought you were going to say I was like let's not get carried away here. Yeah, not exclamation <laughs> point. But he's having such a, a large role within his team's offense that even as you discount it for it, how truly terrible it is. Even when Tyrod Taylor comes back, it will be better, but not good. Um, yeah, that's perfectly fine. The rest of it is awful. They split their tight end snaps between last week. It was uh, Brevin Jordan and Jordan Akins. I don't think Farrell Brown's practicing, so there's not even a. I was going to say we have some listeners to play in, like Craig Dennis Carter, who only play in Farrell Brown only leagues. I was hoping someone mentioned Farrell Brown, <laughs> but they, um, you know they don't have that. Uh, you know Ricky Seals Jones' offense isn't great, but he played so many snaps, and even Logan Thomas when he's healthy played all the snaps. Those guys, you're not as concerned about their offense because you're like, yeah, it's a streaming option. They don't have that. They were splitting like Nico Collins, kind of interesting, getting, I believe, four targets last week. But that wasn't a high share of the offense. So that doesn't matter. You only want the high shares of the offense. And the backfield is the exact same thing, except they just can't run the football because they're always losing. They split between four backs. It's You don't want the running backs. You don't want the receivers that aren't Brandon Cooks. And there's no every down tight end industry. I had written to that point in the waiver wire column like three weeks in a row, like David Johnson, one of the trade deadline candidates, uh, keep them just in case someone moves. And I thought we backdoored it with the Mark Ingram deal. And it turns out all they did was activate Scotty Phillips and give him seven touches. <laughs> yeah, super frustrating. I picked up some Philip Lindsay in, in uh, high stakes leagues, and that was also a disaster. But I did want to share that Brevin Jordan currently has 4.1 yards per route run this year yes it's only on 10 routes but he is the tight end one in pharaoh brown only leagues right now (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i was gonna say yeah he played i think last week was his first week uh making the game day roster i think he had been inactive every single week up until that maybe it's been two weeks but he was behind pharaoh brown and jordan akins and he still split snaps with jordan akins so he's kind of like a non like you know he's a dynasty league stash type of guy if someone cut him and you have like a 30-man roster totally worth considering because he was like a, a productive college player, but we are a year out from caring about this offense. We we joke about the player-only leagues, but as someone who does like the injury tweets on Tuesday to allow everyone to be proactive for the week just to see where we're at, uh, we're, we're getting close to Farrell Brown-only leagues. Well, see, Daigle, Daigle represented to use 80% of your fab on Brevin Jordan. and. Farrell do you want to make Brown a Brevin Jordan, Farrell Brown bet, Daigle? Just for, I do uh, not. <laughs> no, Farrell Brown, I don't think he's, I'm not sure if he's back at practice yet, though, is the problem. Otherwise, it would be great, interesting content and conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think we're, we're going to have to have our producers clip our Farrell Brown conversation for just this how amazingly the- useful it was. We'll uh, be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The NFL season is in full swing, and the NBC Sports Predictor app has you covered a Sunday night seven. Predict what will happen between the Titans and Rams on Sunday night football for a chance to win up to $100,000. It is free and easy to play. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. We end where we typically begin with the Colts hosting the Jets as 10.5-point favorites on Thursday night football. The Colts are by far the better team, but I think the big uh, the big story is summer darling Michael Carter's emergence. He led the Jets in week eight in rushes, rushing yards, receptions, targets, and receiving yards as he finished as the RB1. Crane, is there something we can build on here? Well, you know, this budding, you know, like core for the New York Jets and Michael Carter and Mike White. 
Yeah, I mean, that's maybe overselling it a little bit, but <laughs> I, I think... That was that, a joke, just to be clear, folks. Uh, no, you was a serious. joke. Uh, Michael Carter had has a 71% snap share since the buy, and we kind of saw this emerging. We saw, you know, that Tevin Coleman is getting phased out, inactive last week, dealing with an injury, but I think he's basically kind of out of the rotation at this point. And Carter also fits perfectly with what Mike White can do, which is check the ball down constantly. And... You know, honestly, like that's something. That's a real thing that a quarterback is doing in this offense, which is better than what Zach Wilson was doing. Zach Wilson was was playing really, really bad football, and, and the offense was just not able to maintain drives. So if like this is the only way they can move the ball, at least they're moving the ball, and it sets up Michael Carter for a lot of fantasy production. He has a 1.87 yards per route run right now, and he's probably going to be running a lot of routes I don't think Mike White is going to be throwing for 400 yards this week again. Mr. But, Pessimistic. Um, yeah. But, you know, there was a decent amount of production to Ty Johnson as well and to Jameson Crowder. Like, all the underneath guys were getting peppered with targets. So, you know, for Michael Carter, realistically, looking at, like, a solid running back, two that you can count on, I think he is that now. As electrifying as Mike White was in that game, uh, Mike White is not good. Uh, the Jets Jets fans overhype it a little bit because it's been so long since they've seen confident quarterback play. But just to average a league low 5.2 air yards per attempt in that stretch, which has not only propelled Michael Carter, but has quietly propelled Ty Johnson as well, RB21 and RB9 in PPR leagues the past two weeks because Mike White t- has targeted his running backs as at an absurd 47% rate. Uh, literally doesn't look downfield at all and just dumps off the ball. But I will say teams off an overtime game playing on Thursday night are 6-27 and 27 against the spread. And so uh, while I think the market is overreacting to the Jets, I also don't think, and we'll get here in a second, that the Colts are a very good team still. Uh, it reminds me very much of anyone betting on the Cowboys to like, make the Super Bowl. We know in the postseason – Games are decided by inches. And when it comes to inches with Mike McCarthy, he's, of course, going to make a very poor decision. It's like that with the Colts moving forward. Like, sure, they have enough talent to get by. And then, as we saw this past week, it comes down to Carson Wentz making crucial plays. And uh, Carson Wentz owns four, the four worst plays of the NFL season this year. So <laughs> uh, I just think, actually, the Jets will kind of hang around. And I'm interested to see what happens with this offense. Well, I do. And, like, so we know no one wants to, like, chase points with Mike White. But right. if you're going to do it, I mean, the Colts allow opposing passers to complete 70% of their passes and over eight yards per attempt. Like a team, you know, is famous for not allowing big plays, but this year that has kind of just meant allowing every underneath play, basically, you know, playing right into Mike White's trap. Um, so this Mike White could maybe be a little super flex streamer live this week, I would say. And it's not or- this disgusting point chasing. For the receivers, uh, Corey Davis still DMP with a hip injury. We'll see if he can turn around for Thursday. What we did see, though, was after the Jets oddly telling every team no that called about trading for Denzel Mims, uh, they did allow Denzel Mims to run a team high in routes, starting over Jameson Crowder. Crowder, of course, earning more targets as a shallower player with his routes um, with nine, right behind Michael Carter's 14. So I think James Crowder still the better play, but – you know, if you're playing this riveting showdown slate between the Jets and the Colts, Denzel Mims will probably make your lineup in like large field entries. Denzel Mims running routes and not doing much? You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> who's 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 in the captain spot, by the way, for, for this game? We'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Colts, though. Who, who's in the captain spot for you Colts? You're about me my like home friends that text me on Monday they're like their placeholder lineups for Sunday and I'm like bro like I know you're fainting at the slate because you love it so much but uh I don't got nothing for you right now no, we want sicko plays time. is what we want I want I'm just really into sicko plays is why I always ask the captain spot questions because I want game theory I want people out thinking themselves I want the most galaxy brain captain spot plays that's why I asked that question and with the Colts will be Denzel Mims since uh, yeah, it's, it's since, Mims. Like, you can't play Zach Pascal since he has yet to exceed 50 yards receiving in a game this year. It's Mims folks. Uh, Carson Wentz means he a streamer and you know, how high, how high are we taking Michael Pittman who has demonstrated downfield competence this year? And now he's been, he's kind of like, because they have to have him do this. He's compiling a bit. Are we streaming Carson Wentz in a week with four quarterbacks on by Aaron Rodgers on the COVID list? And how high is too high for Michael Pittman? I'll jump in on Pittman. With these downfield targets, you know, and these downfield threats like Pittman, you got to worry a little bit about the yards per target. Like, is he just getting really hot? You know, is the production we're seeing just him kind of getting lucky on a couple of these deep balls? That's not really 
been the case. Um, he has a 9.6 yards per target. That's totally reasonable for where he's being targeted downfield. He has a 2.01 yards per outrun, which is quite good. He's running around on 97% of dropbacks. It's a 25% target share, 34% air yard share. I mean, Michael Pittman looks like pretty locked into a valuable role. The only real concern has been T.Y. Hilton, because anytime Hilton's been out on the field, he's been getting targeted heavily. You know, Hilton injured again. So I think we're looking at Pittman pretty reliable. Like he's got a, a volatile type of role because he has a deep A dot, um, deep ish of 11.8. So it's going to be a bit hit or miss with him, but he's like, I think, pretty, pretty reliable, more reliable than you would generally think of as like a number one in a Carson Wentz offense. Something that was super interesting last week, too, up until last week, they had been like messing around with Zach Pascal in the red zone and in the end zone. Mo Ali Cox, who's like a huge dude, but like there's a reason he's a 12 snap per game tight end. They had messing around like those guys in the red zone. That wasn't the case last week. Michael Pittman did everything we expect of an alpha receiver. Saw three red zone targets, three end zone targets as well. Uh, and, you know, the obviously the 15 targets. So it was uh, he did everything we expect from an alpha. And as Crane said, it doesn't look like he's running hot. He just looks like a talented player who gets a lot of the volume. Uh, I, I kind of expect him. I was more on that wide receiver two border heading into last week because of, I thought, a lack of touchdown equity. But sans T.Y. Hilton and with improved touchdown equity, top 24 seems like the floor for him, like inside the top 24. And Hilton was in that game for five targets. So the fact that Pittman still walked away with his ludicrous target share uh, is Fairly encouraging. Also, this game, T.Y. Hilton with a concussion already ruled out early in the week. Uh, we know Paris Campbell still out on IR with a foot injury. So it does seem like a Pittman explosion spot. Yeah, it does. Because that hospital ball that got T.Y. Hilton hurt was actually fairly late in the game. And mm-hmm. as Kyle said, both of Pittman's touchdowns came in the actual end zone. So just really, really, really good stuff from Michael Pittman. Uh, any closing thoughts on Jets, uh, White Lotus, Mike White, the Colts? Any any closing thoughts on Thursday Night Football? Jonathan Taylor still up. Uh, his last three games, around 60% routes run on Wentz's dropbacks. Uh, has usurped Naheem Hines pretty much as the pass catching back and majority of dropbacks. And I'm curious to see what happens with Marlon Mack now that essentially no team inquired about him. So maybe he's just healthy scratched. Uh, We'll have to see. Yeah, I'll just say, too, for future reference on the show, when I mentioned the captain spot, I want brains expanding out of heads. I want the sickest possible plays you can think of. That's what we're looking forward to, Captain Scott. Michael Pittman just may be in too good of a spot. Sometimes, like like Monday night with Tyreek Hill, sometimes players are just in too good of a spot that being contrarian is actually just being contrarian to the flex rather than the captain. See, I mean, Keelan Cole, how about, about that? He he almost had one of the nicest touchdown grabs <laughs> oh, of the season. You, you, you got to watch the games to know that because it got overturned. <laughs> thank you. That Now we're finally talking. Now we're finally talking. Uh, that is all the time we have for today. We'll be back tomorrow with the final eight games on the slate, slate each of which has like some crazy injury question or something going on that is creating uncertainty headed into Sunday. So it's going to be a big show with – Matt Strout, myself, John Daigle, and Denny Carter. Please tune in for that. Please check out everything on the site. Check out the rankings going up Thursday. Check out the Pat's walkthrough going up on Friday. Check out DFS Building Blocks with Kyle and John on Friday. So for Pat, for Daigle, for Kyle, I am the other Pat, and we'll catch you later. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.